0: Let's remember to pray for me. Okay, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 12. And just for, uh, by way of remembrance, uh, Jesus has been in Gentile territory. Then at the end of chapter 15, He gets into the boat and He goes into the region of Magdala, which again is now Jewish territory. So Jesus is back in Jewish territory, and immediately he is met with opposition. Now this is what's happening; been happening for the past several chapters. When Jesus is in Jewish territory, he meets with opposition. So that's what we're going to pick up in Matthew 16, and verse 1. It says, Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and, testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. Now there are two things that stand out here. First of all, the... Pharisees and the Sadducees have joined together in this endeavor to oppose Jesus. Uh, This is very rare. This is an unusual alliance. Pharisees and Sadducees do not align with each other in the first century Judaism. They are two different parties, and they are as different as night and day. It would be like a very conservative Republican to the point of being, let's say, libertarian, working with a very liberal Democrat who is on the edge of being a socialist. It would be like a libertarian and a socialist working together, and that just doesn't happen. The only time they would work together is if they had a common cause. Let's say there was a terrorist attack, then Congress comes together and they work together. Well, here they have a common cause. They are against Jesus, that's their common enemy, So they set their differences aside, and they joined together. The Pharisees were were a lay group of people. They were laymen who felt they were called to protect the tradition of the elders. They didn't like being under Roman rule, but they didn't have any choice. The Sadducees were in cahoots with the Romans. They derived their income from the Romans. They were like a liaison between the Romans and the Jewish people, and they did the Romans bidding. And uh, so they, they controlled the temple, did a lot of things like that. And they were um, much more skeptical than the Pharisees. They only believed that the five books of Moses were the word of God. They rejected the Psalms, they rejected the prophets, things like that. So these are two groups that normally do not work together, but here they join together. Now, the second thing that stands out is the word testing there. They come together in order to test Jesus. Now, what is the test? The test is, give us a sign from heaven. Now, the fact that this is called a test means that this request for a sign from heaven is not legitimate. In other words, they're really not concerned about a sign from heaven. he gives them a sign, they're not going to believe anyway. They're just trying to entrap him so they come together for the purpose of entrapment. So uh, they have no intentions of believing. Now, the first time in Matthew's gospel where Jesus is tested or tempted is back in Matthew four, where the devil tempts Jesus. Remember, he out in the wilderness, Jesus has been fasting, and he tests Jesus, and he says, "If you're the son of God, then why don't you just cast yourself down there out the temple, and uh, God will send his angels and." Sweep down and catch you, he certainly wouldn't allow you to be hurt. Just go on and jump. Now, is that a legitimate thing, if you're proving that you're the son of God? No, he wants Jesus dead, doesn't he? He says, well, you're hungry, turn these uh, stones into bread. uh, Jesus doesn't do it, because he knows that's a temptation or a test. So, these are not honest brokers. That's the thing you need to realize, okay? Uh, If Jesus performs a miracle, They will not believe. In fact, he's already performed a whole bunch of miracles and they haven't believed, right? So that's the thing that you need to get. So now we have Jesus' response in verse 2. So look what it says. He answered and said unto them, When it's evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red, and... Threatening. Now that's how Jesus answers them. He gives them a proverb. It's a proverb that was well known by the people of his day. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. Red sky at night, sailors delight. Now, my wife grew up on a farm, and her father always said, if the sun goes down red at night, you can expect a hot one the next day. He read the sky. And farmers know how to look at the sky. And depending on where you are in this country, you can read the sky. You can tell whether it's going to be foul weather tomorrow or not. So Jesus says, hey, you can read the sky. So look what he says At the end of verse 3, he says, Hypocrites! uh, You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. Now when he says hypocrites, he's saying pretenders. Actors! You're acting like you want a sign that will cause you to believe, but that's really not what you want. He says, you know what the situation is. Uh, If you can read the sky, determining the weather for tomorrow, the next day, you should be able to recognize the dawning of a new day, a new eschatological day, a messianic day, the day that God sets up his kingdom. And uh, they know that, but they're not sincere. It's all a trap. That's the thing he's saying. He's saying, what you're doing is not sincere. It's a trap. You're hypocrites. You're pretenders. You're acting like you want me to give you a sign in order that you'll believe, but you are really not interested in believing. You're interested in trapping me. Does that makes sense so far? And then look, look at Jesus' conclusion, verse 4. He says, A wicked and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign. So that's what he's saying. He says, You're wicked. And you're an adulterous generation. Which is a repeat of chapter 12 and verse 38 and 39. And when he's using that word adulterous, he's using it in the sense that it was used in the Old Testament to describe Israel that went pouring after other gods. He said, you've committed adultery. You've been unfaithful to me, the real God, I'm your husband, you're my wife, Israel's my wife. You've been unfaithful to me, you have committed spiritual adultery. And that's what he calls them, a group of people that have, that have been unfaithful to God, unfaithful to the God of Israel. A wicked and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign. They're wicked people, they're not, they claim to be pious, but they're not. And he says, no sign shall be given it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. And we know he said that back in chapter 12 and verse 39. And back there, he explained what that meant. That was the resurrection. He was referring to the resurrection. If you want to know if Jesus is the Messiah, he said, you know, God will validate whether I'm telling the truth or not, whether I'm the Messiah. He'll do it through a resurrection. Which is a great statement because the Sadducees were anti supernaturalist They didn't believe in angels, and guess what else they didn't believe in? Resurrection. So he says God will validate it through a resurrection. And uh, when Jesus is raised, either they will have to believe in a resurrection or they will not believe. And then it says, and he left them and departed. Okay, so that's Jesus' encounter with the Sadducees and Pharisees who try to test him, and he doesn't fall into the trap. Now we have Jesus and the disciples, and this is very interesting. So look what you have in verse 5. Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they have, in the Jewish territory, with him, they may have gone in separate boats, they may have come together, we're not sure. Look what it says. They had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, here's how Jesus responded. Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So in verse 5 we have a fact. They forgot to bring bread. Verse 6, we have a warning. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Now look at verse 7. And they reasoned among themselves. They're saying, well, what's he talking about here? They're trying to figure out what he means by that. And uh, they reasoned among themselves saying, is it because we have taken no bread? Now that shows you they're not, they're not certain what he means. They're trying to figure out what he means when he says, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They say, is he, is he talking about leaven or yeast because we didn't bring any bread telling us, hey, don't, don't get any, watch it, don't, don't get any bread from the Pharisees, and don't ask them for any food, because their yeast might be bad, you know? <laughs> they don't know what in the world he's talking about. All they know is that he's giving them a warning to beware of the leaven or the yeast of the Pharisees. And maybe he's telling us not to go to them for help. If we're hungry, maybe they, they, Pharisees and the Sadducees, had food. They says, don't go there. Is that what he's talking about? So look what Jesus says in verse 8. But Jesus, being aware of the conversation, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves? Because you have brought no bread. They're linking it to the fact that they haven't brought bread. And maybe they feel guilty. We can't bring any food. What are
1: we going to do? Maybe
0: they're getting frantic. But they are linking with Jesus' Jesus warning with not bringing bread. And Jesus says in verse 8, very interesting how he words it. He says, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? If uh, I were speaking of bread, literal bread, uh, well, in fact, he's saying I'm not speaking of literal bread. I'm not talking about going to the Pharisees. If there was a lack of bread, if you didn't have enough bread, we don't have a problem, do we? If you forgot to bring the bread over, is there really a problem? Have I ever provided bread before? Look what he says in verse 9 and 10. Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves and the 5,000? How many baskets did you take up? How many baskets were left over? What are you concerned about bread for? Look at verse 10. Nor the seven loaves of the 4,000. How many large baskets did you take up? How can you lack bread when Jesus is with you? If he's been able to feed 20 or 30,000 people, (laughs) and <laughs> these two accountants, do you think you can take care of 12 guys? Forgot their lunch? <laughs> it, it, it shows you how confused they are in their thinking. So notice what he said back in verse 8. Oh, you of little faith. If it's bread you're worrying about, all you have to do is look at me. <laughs> I said... 5,000 one time, plus women and children, probably 20,000 there. Another 4,000 another time, women and children, probably another you know, 15,000 there. Hey, in these two encounters, I've fed 35,000 people. And you're worrying about bread? O oh, you of little faith. Now, this isn't the first time Jesus says, O oh, you of little faith, from the Gospel of Matthew. And it's very interesting to see those other places. So I want you to take your Bible and look back at Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to show you where he says, you of little faith. Matthew chapter 6. And you'll see the statement somewhere in this. Section. <laughs> Verse thirty. <clears throat> Verse thirty. Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and the is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Now remember how that started back in twenty-five? Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you eat, or what you drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Don't worry about the necessities of life. Seek first the kingdom of God. Isn't that what it says in verse 33? Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. That's all you have to do. Look to God as your source in this situation. Oh, ye of little faith. Notice what's the opposite of faith here. It's worrying. Doubt. Oh, what am I going to do? Hey, we didn't bring bread today. <gasps> Beware of eleven, of the, I was just talking about not getting through. You can just see that they they have problems with faith, trusting God to meet their needs. Sounds like us, doesn't it? We always have to take the bull by the horn, sometimes we do more than God wants us to do. And yes, we can take the bull by the horns in certain cases and have our needs met. You know, an emergency situation, but. In doing that, sometimes we'll get far less than if we trusted God in that situation. And it's not an easy thing to understand or explain. And I think that's one of the reasons they're confused. Now look at chapter 8. Chapter 8. <coughs> now, this is you find that statement again in verse 26. Look what it says. He said to them, Why are you fearful? This is 826. Oh. Ye of little faith. Here's the second time with you. Why are you fearful? Oh, you of little faith. The first time was, why do you worry? Oh, you of little faith. Why do you worry? What are you worrying about? What are you worrying about right now? I'm going to say something. This is going to be Jesus speaking. Okay, I'm going to give you the word of God that's as pure as I can give it. There'll be no mixture of error in anything I say. Why are you worrying? O, you of little faith! Now, is there something that you're fearing? Look, stop fearing. O, you of little faith! What were they fearing here in chapter eight? Well, this is the section beginning in verse twenty-three that they're in a boat, and a great big storm comes up on them. Remember that? And that they think they're going to sink. Jesus is sleeping through the storm. They wake you, wake you up. <laughs> why do you fear? Jesus was right there in their midst. Sleeping right there with them. And he says, why do you fear? Oh, you of little faith. In fact, earlier he said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. And let me tell you something. If Jesus says, let's go to the other side, I can guarantee you you're going to make it to the other side. Amen. And a storm faces them, and they start being gripped by fear. And he says, why do you fear, O you, of little faith? And okay, now look at the next one. It's chapter 14. And chapter 14. Look at verse 31. Verse 31. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, and he caught him, and he said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? First, they were worrying. Why do you worry? Oh, you of little faith. Second time, they're fearful of something that's going on. I might have cancer. I might have this. Why do you fear? Oh, you of little faith. Next time, doubt. Why do you doubt? You think God's strong enough to do whatever you need Him to do? Now what's the context here? The context here is, Peter walking on the water, gets eyes off of Jesus and he starts to sink. And Jesus says, "Oh, you of little faith, why would not you doubt? Jesus said to him, come on out. Did Jesus say, come on out? Peter says, I want to get out, Jesus. He says, come on. And guess what? He walks as he keeps his eyes on Jesus, gets his eyes off of Jesus, starts to doubt, starts to sink, Jesus reaches out and says, why did you doubt? Oh, you a little faith. And he says, that's us. Why do we doubt? When we're sick that God can't heal us. Why do we doubt when a situation happens that God can't deliver our son or our grandson or our grandchild from the problems that they're facing? Hey, he did it for you, didn't he, in the past? He'll do it again. Now look at chapter 17. Now we're going to jump ahead. And you see this in verse 17. Jesus said and he answered, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you, bringing... Me and then in verse 20, he says, Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, look at this because of your unbelief, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, Move from here and be there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, what the situation is here, if you look back at 14, is a man comes and he brings his son to Jesus, and the son is having seizures. Uh, brings his son to the apostles, and they cannot cure him. And Jesus says, basically in verse 14, Oh, you of little faith, faith faithlessly the a generation. So, we need to believe that when there's ministry available to us, that we step out in faith, that we'll be able to do it. Jesus said, you could have done this if you just had faith. So, when you go back to chapter 16, and we're at verse... Wherever? One of those verses. Which one? 11. How is it that you do not understand... No, no. Verse... Uh, where is it? 8? Yeah. He says... Jesus being aware of their need, He says, O oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves? Because you have no bread. Do you not understand or remember? Now watch this. This is very important. Do you not understand... Do you not understand, number one, number two, or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you had left over? Nor the seven loaves or the 4,000 baskets and how many large baskets you took <coughs> up? So what we discover is both Jesus and Enemies, verses 1 through 4, and Jesus' disciples are struggling with unbelief. The first group doesn't believe, and the second group is struggling with unbelief. And I call the first group, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, I call their unbelief active unbelief. Think about that. You'll see how that figures out. Active unbelief. The disciples, I call their unbelief, passive unbelief. In case one of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they are demanding a sign from Jesus, but have absolutely no intent to believe. They have no intent to believe, therefore that's active unbelief. The disciples, their unbelief is the result of not understanding, we just read, or forgetting the past. Because uh, that's why I call it passive unbelief. If we forget what Jesus has done in the past, the miracles that he's done in the past, the way he's intervened in our lives in the past, when we forget about the past and how he miraculously worked, then our faith diminishes. It's a passive unbelief. It just automatically, in and of itself, just diminishes. So what we need to be constantly doing is to be reflecting on the mighty deeds of God in the past. And when we do that, our faith in the present and the future will be bolstered. So we have to do something actively to bolster that faith. Otherwise, naturally our faith will just diminish. And the way that we bolster our faith is remembering what he did to the past. Did he open up a Red Sea so 3, 000, three million Jews could cross miraculously across? A red we're talking about the sea. He did the same thing at the Jordan for Joshua. Just if he can raise somebody from the dead, can he take care of feeding somebody for one day or one meal? See we need to constantly be thinking of the past. And when we do that, then our faith for the present and the future will be bolstered. If he's done it before, not only can he do it again, he will do it again. And that's faith. And that's what we need to learn. That's what we need to understand. And when we don't understand it, we forget it. Then our faith diminishes. Now look at verse 11. How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread. I wasn't talking when I said beware of the bread, uh, the, l- the, the leaven of the Pharisees. I wasn't talking about going to them and getting bread. Because if you wanted bread, you can come to me and i take care of that. I wasn't talking about bread. But, here's what I was talking about. To beware... Of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I wasn't talking about literal yeast. I was using the term metaphorically. Very interesting how often Jesus uses terms symbolically or metaphorically to represent something and his disciples and others miss out on it completely. Remember Jesus with the woman at the well? says, give me a drink. And she's asking, well, how are you being a Jew would ask a drink from me being a Samaritan? Well, he said, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink. And I'd give you some living water. And she said, well, give it to me. I don't want to come out here at noon time every day. The sun's hot. Just give me water and will just last. She's thinking physical. And what is he talking about? Spiritual. He's talking about a spiritual reality. In this case, he was talking about the... The Holy Spirit. So you see that Jesus here is speaking metaphorically. And in the Old Testament, leaven often meant something that was evil. Leaven by its very nature is that which is hidden and it spreads. And here he's telling them to beware of something that's related to the Pharisees and the Sadducees that is hidden under the surface. Remember now, these people are hypocrites. Every Christian is a person who has a, is hiding behind a mask. There's something that's hidden. What's hidden? The real person. What they really believe. Their unbelief. Their attempt to trap. They don't want him to know that they're trying to trap him. They're putting on a false face. Hey, haven't given us a sign? You know. See, that is what hypocrisy is. It's something that's hidden and it can spread. And he's talking about some evil that's connected with the Pharisees and the Sadducees that could have a negative effect and will spread. Now look what he says in verse 12. Then they understood. Notice, then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine Or the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So he was telling them to watch out for the teaching of the Pharisees. The hypocritical teaching of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Uh, What is hypocritical teaching? Well, it's when you say you believe one thing, but in reality you act a little differently. Like the Corbin, wow, mom and dad, I'd like to help you. Remember two weeks ago? But all the money I have has been dedicated to the temple. I'm sorry, I just can't help you out. What a hypocritical thing. You're using the money for yourself even though it's dedicated to the temple. You were with us a couple weeks ago. You know what we're talking about. Or, hey, your disciples don't wash their hands. Shit, Yeah, but while you're saying that, you got the filthiest heart in the world. Not hands, it's heart. It's not what goes in, it's what comes out of your mouth, your teaching, your hypocrisy, your phoniness, your deceptiveness, your attempt to trap people looking out for number one all the time when you say that you love God and you love your neighbors yourself, but you don't really. You're looking out for number one. You don't care about a poor person. You don't care about anybody except yourself. And the Sadducees were really like that. And your teaching doesn't produce citizens of the kingdom, it just produces skepticism and doubt and unbelief. Now, in verse 12, there's a play on words here that you can't see in the English translation. Because, and I think Jesus uses this play on words in order to drive home his point. So that they'll never forget what he says here. Jesus and the disciples spoke in the Aramaic language. You've heard of Aramaic. Aramaic language was a combination of Hebrew and the language of Babylon. When Israel was taken into Babylonian captivity, they merged Hebrew and Babylonian into what we would call Aramaic. Aramaic is a combination of those two languages. And Jesus and his disciples spoke together in Aramaic. All Jews spoke Aramaic. The Bible's written in Greek. So there's a sense in which Jesus is speaking Aramaic and Matthew is translating it into Greek and then guess what? Years later it was translated again into English. So we have it down like three generations. But there's a play on words in the Aramaic and the word for yeast is hamire. Hamire, that's the word for yeast. Hamire. The word for teaching is amire. Sounds so close. So what he's saying is, it's just a play on words and it's a, a rhythmic play on the words. It's like a poem where the sounds are very similar. So what he is saying is, then they understood he did not tell them to beware of the hamire of bread but the Amiré of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so, probably from that time on, there became a saying where they said, not Amiré, (laughs) Amiré. And so, this is a method that would cause the early believers to remember a lesson. This play on words. And it was remembered. And if you look over at 1 Corinthians 5, you see how the early church remembered that concept of leaven. As being something bad. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 7, you have a very famous passage. And it says in verse 7, this is 1 Corinthians 5, 7, therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Now, he's not talking about literal leaven, he's talking about it in the sense of being evil. "...since you truly are unleavened, you are pure, for indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth." Now, when when the Apostle Paul takes this statement, which comes straight from Jesus' teaching on, beware of leaven, beware of that which is evil, that sneaks in, has a negative effect on everything. If you look at the beginning of chapter 5, 1 through 6, what you have is immorality in the church. In verse 1, he calls it sexual immorality. A man has his father's wife. So here in the church at Corinth, incest is taking place. And the church is accepting this behavior and this teaching and allowing it to go on. And Paul writes and says, Hey, you need to get rid of this leaven. This is straight from Satan. This is not from God. So the early church took this teaching that Jesus had to heart and they said, We need to keep a pure church. Because if you allow the the people to behave and teach falsely and... It's in the church, it will infiltrate, and it will take over the entire church and destroy the church. And whenever the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees was accepted in Jesus' day, then people ended up coming under their influence and their life was destroyed. Now, I'll just throw one thing out that's going to shock you. It's not going to shock you, but it's just something normal people don't think about. Maybe Bible teachers do more often. When Jesus said these words, that would have been about 30 AD. Would everybody agree with that? 30 AD. When Matthew writes the words, when he writes his gospel, that could be like 70 AD, something, 60 to 80. We don't know exactly what the date is, but maybe 30 years later. Would everybody agree with that? Before Matthew ever puts those words down on paper, though, the stories of Jesus are circulating verbally. Everybody understand that? Just like, you know, in World War II, we had battles, and that's what happened in 1941. Here's what happened. And uh, there's the bombing of Pearl Harbor. It happened. And then maybe five years later, a historian records it on paper. But between the time that it happened and the time it was recorded on paper, the story was told a thousand times. Jesus tells the story, does these events in 30 AD. Matthew records them in 70 A.D., but between that, what's happening? The story is circulating. 1 Corinthians is written somewhere around 50 A.D. 1 Corinthians, as far as being written, is written before Matthew. So Paul is telling them to beware of the leaven entering the church based on knowing the stories of Jesus. And Paul actually deals with the issue in real life and writes it down probably 30 years before Matthew. Now that's what you get in seminary. That's what you would get in a Bible college. You don't usually get that at Sunday school. And I sort of hesitated to tell you because I didn't know whether you know, that would be too confusing for everybody. But for those of you who got it, I'm glad. And those of you who didn't, owe you a little faith. <laughs> The bottom line is that hypocrisy is lethal. Okay? Next week, we're going to see that these disciples who have very little faith, obviously, from what we're learning, uh, stand up, and Peter stands up, who puts his foot in his mouth so many times, and utters those very famous words, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. That. That wasn't you putting your foot in your mouth. That was from my Father. That's what we'll pick up next week. Lord, we thank you for uh, your word. And help us to uh, remember the past so that our faith will be bolstered in the present and the future. Help us to protect our church from false teaching and false behavior. Help us to protect our own lives individually and our families in that way. Help us to be people of faith who can trust you to, to work out the necessities of life. Help us not to worry. Help us not to fear. Help us not to doubt. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust you, Lord, for these last two days of this year and for a bright new year. In Christ's name, It's <laughs> a